Knock knock. Who's there? Affixed. Affixed who? Affixed your door. That'll be $50. You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve! It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. Dr. Steve, this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine, at Lady Diagnosis, and at DRScottWM. And visit our website at WeirdMedicine.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Or go to our merchandise store at CafePress.com slash Weird Medicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, or whatever. Hey, don't forget to uh, go to stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. Stuff.drsteve.com. Uh, that's a page that has all the uh, different uh, things that we talk about on the show and also has a link to just take you directly to Amazon. Please use it anytime that you uh, need to shop on the Internet. Also, don't forget tweakedaudio.com. Offer code FLUID uh, for the best earbuds on the market for the price and 33% off of those, in fact. And someone told me the other day, I said it was like buying two for the price of three, which is just stupid. So it's uh, like buying uh, six for the price of four. Anyway, and uh, check out Dr. Scott's website. He's not here this week, but uh, simplyherbals.net. And uh, etncomedy.com is our comedy uh, uh, promotion website. We're just doing one thing so far this year, and it's August 2nd. At uh, Allendale Mansion in Kingsport, Tennessee. It's a free concert, so if you want to come, make plans to come and hang out with the Weird Medicine crew and some of the uh, winners from the uh, uh, New Comedian Showcase and the Funniest Fucker in the Tri-Cities competition. And Vic Hanley is going to be the headliner of that. So uh, feel free to come. It's a free concert. Hell, you can't beat it. And uh, if you come, say hello, I'll buy you a beer because it's an outdoor concert and there will be uh, craft beer from uh, Sleepy Owl and maybe even BM John will show up. So that's August 2nd, 2018. Um, And uh, don't forget, try this, premium.drsteve.com, premium.drsteve.com. It's a buck ninety nine a month and you get access to all the archives and there's some, some – 
premium material in there, but it just it helps us out, and it's a buck ninety nine a month. And I'm not, I'm just, I don't think I'm going to do Patreon. I just, I don't get the vibe. Um, it just, um, you know, there's, there's so much shit and there's all these levels and all this stuff. And it just seems like multi-level marketing to me. Uh, I'm, uh, if you will, if you don't even want to do that, if you'll use stuff.drsteve.com or just listen and don't worry about it. It's fine. We appreciate anything you do, including just sitting there and doing nothing but listening uh, or ignore us. That's fine, too. But I um, really appreciate our listeners and uh, more than you can imagine. We really do. It's amazing to me that anybody listens to this shit. Um, I don't have any real medical news today. We're still looking for a universal influenza vaccine. I did see in the news that now influenza A is on the wane. Influenza B is making a resurgence. And, um, you know, people are freaking out. And influenza B tends to be a little less virulent than influenza A usually. And um, it's making a late uh, – a late appearance on in the flu. This has been the longest damn flu season. It started um, really in September last year and is still kind of going on. Although our in our area we're seeing fewer and fewer cases. Um, if the flu shot wasn't that great again this year, but it was a hell of a lot better. Than nothing. And uh, people say, well, what's what's the deal with that? Why doesn't the flu shot work every time? Well, this virus is a real piece of shit because uh, it continues to mutate. So think about it this way. You got measles once or you got mumps or let's try chicken pox. Most people who are listening to this probably had chicken pox unless you're so young that you had the chicken pox vaccine, in which case there may be issues down the road, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, so you get that. You never get it again. Unless you can get chickenpox uh, uh, virus can reemerge again, but then we call it shingles. Um, but the immune system is pretty good at uh, knocking it back, and then you can't get it again. And that's because when the next time you're exposed to that virus, you already have uh, immunity to it. You've built up this immunity, and uh, it recognizes the virus and it kills it before it can infect you again. And that's because the chickenpox virus doesn't mutate. For it to work, it has to uh, uh, have the same DNA and the same proteins on its surface or it just doesn't work. Uh, if it does mutate, it's probably mutating to a form that can't infect humans. So, uh, But influenza mutates all the damn time. It will mutate in the middle of influenza season. So the way that they make the flu shots is in the summer, they go, okay, what's going on in the southern hemisphere on the other side of the world in the wintertime in their flu season? They'll say, well, we got this strain, this strain, and this strain. They go, okay, well, it's going to be something similar to that. We will – because it, there's some lead time to making vaccines. We got to make it based on what we're seeing in the southern hemisphere during their flu season. And so it's always this sort of lagging indicator, and uh, we can't predict ahead of time how it's going to um, how it's going to mutate. So they make the virus or the vaccine, and if the virus that they anticipated hits here, the vaccine works very well. If 
the damn thing has mutated between then and the time that the vaccine comes out, it may not work as well. Now, there are studies that do show that even if you get influenza, because the, I don't know if you all remember, two, three years ago, here I am, I guess I was 59, 58, 59, not, not a young man, not yet quite elderly, uh, but at the end of or the beginning of old age and at the end of middle age. And uh, I woke up, had a fever of 105 and had influenza. And not only had I had the flu shot, I'd been exposed to the flu mist virus. Uh, flu mist was, uh, we haven't had it the last two years, a nasal spray vaccine. It was live attenuated virus. It's meant it was real virus. And uh, my kids got it. And the, the sneaky little secret about the uh, influenza nasal virus is it's contagious. So if my kids got it, I got it. So I indirectly, even though I'm too old to get the flu mist, I got it anyway. And I had that and a flu shot and still got the flu. But the uh, I just sailed through it. Um, I had a fever of 105. I got a week off of work. I watched uh, CW's Arrow uh, from start till finish. I just binge watched Arrow. So uh, I could have, you know, I could have watched. I didn't feel like watching porn. When you've got a fever of 105, the last thing you want to do is uh, get out your massive meaty hog and start stroking it. So I watched nerd TV and enjoyed every minute of it, but uh, just sailed through. And uh, there are some studies that indicate that if you get influenza and you've had the flu shot, that it's more likely to keep you out of the hospital, which is all we really care about. So, um, yeah, so the influenza vaccine this last this last couple of years has not been great. But as I said, it's been better than nothing and probably still saving lives. Uh, still recommend it. Um, but what we need, this is what we need, and they're very close from what I understand, uh, close to having what's called a universal influenza vaccine. And so what that will be is like smallpox, you get your smallpox vaccine and uh, you can't get it again and you isolate the virus and then it, you uh, wipe it from the face of the fucking earth. Because um, if we have a, uh, a universal uh, vaccine, that would mean that they're actually targeting proteins that influenza must have to be influenza. And, um, and, and therefore, if you get that vaccine, you can never get influenza. You may get para-influenza or uh, echovirus or some other virus, but you're not going to get influenza. And if we do this properly, we may be able to wipe out human influenza. So that's what they're working on. And if we get that in the next couple of years, I will be uh, uh, definitely uh, uh, in favor of uh, universal ad- adoption of that, assuming that it's safe and, effect- safe and as effective as we hope it will be. As I said, I have an issue with the uh, chickenpox vaccine. I'm not sold on it yet, even though it's been out for quite some time. And I'll tell you why. Chickenpox, unlike measles, tends to be um, non-life-threatening, although there there are people who uh, succumb to chickenpox. But it's uh, less serious of a disease, and um, it's it's a lifestyle disease. makes you uncomfortable, and you look goofy with all those pox all over you. And then later on, you can get shingles. 
Uh, so there is – I'm not saying there's no value to it. But what I'm concerned about is it's a killed virus. So how long does it confer immunity? We don't know yet because it hasn't been out long enough. The one thing you don't want to do is get chickenpox when you're an adult, particularly if you're a pregnant adult. And I am get concerned still that there are going to be uh, people with diminished immunity uh, living out there that are uh, women of childbearing potential that may get chickenpox because their um, uh, chickenpox vaccine ran out. So long-term studies are still ongoing. Hopefully I'm, – I'm I'm not going to say hopefully I'm wrong because I, I don't have a position on this. I'm just concerned about it. And I'm not saying don't get chickenpox vaccine. I'm not saying that. I am concerned to uh, to make sure that they um, continue to do long-term studies to make sure that the immunity is long-lasting. If it isn't, it's not that big of a deal. What you do is you just set up a booster schedule. Just like tetanus, we get a tetanus vaccine every 10 years. It may be that we need to get um, uh, a varicella vaccine or chickenpox vaccine when you're a kid and then again when you're 21 and maybe you don't need one after that. Uh, you know, and if you've ever seen anybody that got shingles of their eye, uh, that is a disease that would be nice to prevent. So, so anyway, shingles of the eye sucks. It's like a herpes infection of the uh, of the face and the eye, and it can affect uh, this uh, nerve called the trigeminal nerve, which is in the face. And if you ever heard of uh, trigeminal neuralgia, it's one of the most painful. Uh, conditions that we know of, and uh, it's very difficult to treat. It'd be nice to be able to prevent that kind of stuff. So um, uh, anyway, not saying don't get varicella vaccine, just saying I have concerns about it. Just like I'm not saying uh, no one should vape. Uh, I'm not convinced it's safe, though. So I'm not a namby-pamby, just-say-no type of asshole, but uh, I am concerned of the long-term use of uh, things like that. I'm just concerned. I'm not saying one thing or the other. I don't have any concrete evidence yet. Uh, uh, Evie the Night Nurse in a couple of shows back did a story about uh, acrolein, which is a known carcinogen being found in the urine of people who vape. That is concerning. I don't have any hard data yet that says that this stuff actually causes disease. But when I see these nuts with their tanks and their and their hipster – you know, come on, tooting on their on their vape pen and blowing out these giant clouds of of vapor. Uh, that's you know, it's unbelievable how huge they are and how smelly they are. There, I cannot imagine that this is good for you. I'm hoping it's neutral. I know it's not good for you. Uh, I know that deep down inside. It, that doesn't mean it's bad for you. I just there's no benefit to it. Um, now, as an aid to uh, quitting smoking, I think vaping is certainly more safe than cigarettes, at least as far as we know. So, if you're going to go from cigarettes to vaping to nothing, I'm all in favor of it. But remember, there is a prescription strength nicotine inhaler on the market called Nicotrol that your provider can write for you that at least is FDA approved. So. Something to think about. All right. Let's answer some questions. Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right. Very good. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bennington. Uh, let's see what we got here. 
Uh-oh. Of course. Hello? Hmm. All right. Hi, Dr. Steve. Oh, there we go. Um, I'm currently in bed, uh, having come back from the bathroom, trying to be sick, and uh, I can't. I have a bug at the moment. I think it's a, it's supposed to be a vomiting bug. But I've always found it incredibly difficult to be sick. Um, I think the last time I was sick was about five years ago. I'm not scared of it. And all the Google stuff throws up, um, <laughs> excuse the pun, uh, fear of vomiting. Right. I'm not scared. I want to be sick because I want to get rid of whatever's in my stomach making me feel ill. But it's almost impossible. Um, why? Why do I have this problem? What's the physiology of this? My dad has the same. He can't burp. He's never been able to burp, but I can. But, um, oh God, I wish I could just be sick. Okay, uh, very good. That's uh, I'm going to have to play this one on the podcast too because she's a podcast listener. Uh, I'm assuming, unless, um, uh, well, anyway. Anyway, I'll just do that one on the podcast as well. Um, Yes, so you're right. If you Google inability to vomit on the internet, you will find emetophobia, which uh, Dan Natterman and I share that malady, which is uh, an unnatural or irrational fear of vomiting. And Dan would say, I don't find it unnatural at all. (laughs) Makes perfect sense to me. And he's not wrong about that. Vomiting is horrific. And um, I am really nervous about foodborne illness. I don't care if it gives me the shits. I just don't want to puke. But this woman has a different problem. She wants to puke. She's not able to. And she answered her own question when she said her father couldn't do it. Um, So uh, this is likely genetic. Uh, and her father can't burp, and that implies uh, a mechanical issue. So he, he, their stomachs. So the way it works is uh, the mouth l- leads to the uh, fa- pharynx, which is the back part of the mouth or the oropharynx, and that connects to the esophagus, which is a tube that goes down into the stomach, and the esophagus has to pass through the diaphragm, and that hole that it passes through is called the hiatus. And you can get a thing called a hiatal hernia, which is where the stomach actually bloops up above the diaphragm and gets compressed. Some of those people can't burp. Some of them burp too much. He could or both of them could have a kink in in uh, their esophagus that actually will prevent them from having gastroesophageal reflux because if you can't vomit and you can't burp, it's unlikely that gastric contents can get up into your esophagus. So this may be a blessing in disguise. Uh, usually people get a puke bug about once every three to five years, and so she's going to be really uncomfortable wanting to vomit and being unable to do so uh, once every three to five years, but then for the rest of her life, she's likely not to get gastroesophageal reflux which uh, if you have it and have to take things like Prilosec, uh, uh, you know you know what, that, what kind of suffering that is. So uh, it may be a blessing in disguise, but I suspect this is anatomical and it has to do with genetics and it's just the way they're built. There is a natural variation uh, with, within some limits of the way human bodies are made. 
And uh, that may – her malady or her inability to vomit may confer an evolutionary advantage at some point. If there was a – uh, let's just say an extreme example of a virus that came through that caused unremitting vomiting. People who couldn't vomit would probably live longer than people who were just puking up all their uh, uh, vital juices. So, um, you know, that natural variation is there not to confer advantages, but, you know, natural selection will take ad- uh, advantage of those advantages. Uh, when uh, selecting certain populations to uh, pass their seed on to the next generation. So so anyway, but that's most likely what's going on there. All right. Hi, this is a question for Dr. Scott. Oh, well, he isn't here. What is the best alternative medicine to have Lexapro, Effexor, Zoloft, uh, Cymbalta, uh, but what is the best alternative medicine to counteract those? Uh, I know that there is uh, a couple that you can get. Yeah, okay. Um, First thing, uh, Dr. Scott isn't here, so we'll uh, do this maybe on the podcast this weekend. Uh, but I can answer a little bit. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to say is that ex- obviously exercise, yoga, those kinds of things that release endorphins are probably good for depression. People who are depressed tend to uh, be couch potatoes. Uh, and, and most of the time it's caused by the depression. I'm not uh, being critical. It just happens. You feel shitty. You don't want to get up and do anything. It's called apathy, and that's one of the symptoms of depression. If you can force yourself to at least do yoga three times a week, it might help to a certain degree. Number two, don't treat depression yourself. If you are depressed, and remember, depression isn't sadness. Depression is a cluster of symptoms that includes apathy or the lack of desire to do things, anhedonia or the lack of ability to take pleasure in things. Uh, depressed mood, uh, insomnia or hypersomnia, in other words, any sort of sleep disorder, those kinds of things, loss of appetite uh, or increased appetite, which makes it difficult. You've got to have these clusters of symptoms. Any one of those by themselves may not uh, make the, the diagnosis of depression. There are depression screening tools on the internet that you can take. But if you think that you're depressed, you should talk to your primary care. Most, I would say 70% of psychiatry is practiced in the primary care office, only about 30% in psychiatrist's office. So that most of the time, uh, if you have clinical depression, they'll do a quick workup. You, know, you never want to treat someone with low thyroid or low testosterone with an antidepressant. So you do some, some workup, uh, uh, a thyroid check, testosterone check if you're a male Complete blood count because anemia sometimes can mimic depression or some of the symptoms of depression. And then uh, they can treat you. And if you want to do it without taking prescription medication, they could talk to you about it. If they're into complementary medicine, they may try you on a thing called St. John's wort. And St. John's wort uh, isn't consistently effective for depression, but hell, what is? Um, And it's not recommended that you use it to replace conventional care or postponing seeing somebody. 
Um, it's uh, it and it, it, St. John's wort is real medicine, and it can interfere with other medicines. There's multiple drug interactions, and if you combine it with certain antidepressants, you can actually increase the amount of serotonin, which is a neurochemical in your uh, uh, nervous system, to the point where you do yourself harm. So, just please don't try to treat depression on your own. If you go to uh, someone that's interested in complementary medicine, they might try it for particularly for mild, non-life-threatening depression. Uh, if, the, if someone really just didn't want to take, um, you know, a prescription medication, but remember, it's still medication, and it has some of the same effects of our regular standard uh, antidepressants. So, all right, okie doke. Oh well, and if you're interested, there was a um, twelve-week trial with 73 participants, and um, uh, they were, uh, it said, oh yeah, neither St. John's wort nor a standard antidepressant decreased symptoms of minor depression better than a placebo. So minor depression probably does not require medication unless it turns into major depression. Uh, here's another 26-week clinical trial with 124 participants and St. John's wort, a standard antidepressant and placebo, were similarly effective in treating major depression of moderate severity. So even there, the placebo effect was quite strong. Um, a 2008 review of 29 international studies. So what this is is a meta-analysis. So in a meta-analysis, you take a whole bunch of studies and you pool the data and then you uh, do statistical analysis on that. And it, sometimes it helps to tease out a weaker signal because you get you're using more uh, more data points. They felt it uh, may be better than a placebo and as effective as different standard preparation. Um, uh, prescription antidepressants for major depression of mild to moderate severity. So, you know, this this depression is not the easiest thing to uh, manage. And um, I really feel like uh, unrecognized depression can be life-threatening if it proceeds to suicidality. So, and uh, it's always better – uh, to have someone supporting you and not only your family but your primary care or a psychiatrist. So please, if you're suffering from this, just go see somebody. If you want to talk to them about St. John's Wort, feel free, but don't treat this on your own, okay? Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. 
answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right. Hi, Dr. Steve. Like the show called about five times. Hey, thanks. This man. one is for Dr. Scott. Okay. Now, there's this documentary series on Netflix called The Traffickers. And one of the episodes is about rhinoceros horn. Dr. Scott, can we please stop the madness, okay? Or, if the shit really works, then please give Dr. Steve one of those double-blind study test placebo ordeals. So, either way, we can stop killing off these rhinos. Give yourself a... All right. Please answer this one on the podcast if you can, because I don't have the uh, XM subscription anymore. shit. I'm going to have to do all of these. (laughs) I'll just run this show on the podcast. Hey, uh, uh, Dr. Scott isn't here to defend himself, and he he needs no defense on this because uh, he is a uh, graduate of four-year traditional Chinese medical school, which is one of the reasons I respect him. You know, he took four years out of his postgraduate life to pursue this, just like, uh, you know, that's as much time as I went to medical school. And um, he's extremely knowledgeable, and he has disavowed the use of animal parts other than flying squirrel fecal matter, which is not endangered. But he said that he, he does not use rhino horn. They were not taught to use rhino horn, that that is um, not part of the traditional Chinese medical uh, curriculum. And that it's um, a very uh, small contingent of people uh, who are uh, poaching that and and using it. And indeed, there's no double-blind placebo-controlled studies or any studies at all that shows that rhino horn does anything. It just looks like a big, giant cock with a giant base. And and that's that's why – remember we talked previously about this – these whole food pharmacies that we've been to where the people told us that walnuts are good for the brain because they look like brains when you crack them open. And uh, uh, carrots are good for the eye because when you slice one, uh, um, you know, not not longitudinally but uh, uh, axially, no, coronally, it will um, uh, shit. It will. It looks like an eyeball, or you know, because it's concentric circles. Big, you know, it doesn't look like an eye. It looks like a, a sliced carrot. And that uh, kidney beans were good for your kidneys because they're called kidney beans, and they look like kidneys, which is why they're called kidney beans, not because they're good for your kidneys. So uh, that kind of that sort of visual imagery that leads one to think that something has medical efficacy. Uh, has no bearing in science whatsoever, and we try to be as scientific as we can. And uh, but anyway, Doctor Scott has disavowed that he has nothing to uh, defend himself on. Uh, he says, "Don't use that stuff. Don't create a market for it. If you know, if the market disappears, poachers will stop killing rhinos and start killing other things. I guess uh, the market's got to disappear for ivory and for rhino horn, among other things. You know, the last." 
uh, I think male white rhino, is that, did I read that somewhere, died recently? And what they're hoping to do is uh, create a new population by um, uh, using his jizz to artificially inseminate other rhinos. So I applaud that. If anybody knows any more about that, call in. And uh, that's something I would like to donate to because uh, rhinos are – they're cool. They look cool. That's why we're going to Mars because Mars is cool. All right. Hi, Dr. Steve. It's Adam from San Diego. I have a question about – oh, fuck. I fucked up again. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know what. Hi, Dr. Steve. I'm ordering some Taco Bell right now, and I see a billboard for a show, and it says "Friendship is the best medicine." I want to get your opinion on that. Thanks. No, methadone's the best medicine. <laughs> what are you talking about? Friendship. Friendship. Uh, uh, I I actually think that there's data that shows that people with strong friendships. I uh, have a better quality of life. That just kind of makes sense. I mean, who needed to fund that study? Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I don't know, dude. I got no answer for you on that. Hi, I was calling. Uh, I've been on methadone for about three years Speaking now, of methadone. And I've been wondering what's the best way to get off of methadone. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to assume that you're on methadone. Um, because you had a problem with opioids in the past and you're taking methadone uh, as a maintenance. So the reason that the federally licensed methadone clinics use methadone is because it's a wonderful drug. If you have chronic pain, it's a great pain medication. It does not block the activity of other narcotics as people think it does. It is in itself an, an opioid and it has a very long half-life. So it's one of the few that aren't enteric-coated or embedded in a wax matrix that actually stays in your body for a long time. And it's also dirt cheap. Pharmaceutical companies don't promote it. You know, nobody's got a patent on it right now. So you can get a month's supply of methadone for like 17 bucks. So... Um, uh, people, the um, so they'll. I mean, they could use OxyContin at a methadone clinic. They call it an OxyContin clinic, and you'd give people a large dose of OxyContin, tell them to come back the next day. Except it would be insanely expensive compared to methadone. So, um, uh, so I'm going to assume that you're on that, and you're on a maintenance program. And since you're wanting to get off of it, it tells me, and I've just got to go with some scenario that. You feel that uh, you've got a handle on your, uh, you know, addictive tendencies, and you just want to get off of this stuff and be truly sober. So uh, the thing that you do is you go talk to the addictionologist who's treating you, and say, "I would really like to try tapering off this stuff." And let's say you're on 120 milligrams a day. I advocate a very long, slow taper for people who uh, are otherwise following their contract and are not diverting their medications and are not taking it pathologically. And uh, methadone comes in 40s, 10s, and 5s. So it's really easy to um, uh, 
make up a regimen that you that you can taper off of. So let's say that you're on three forties a day. I would maybe even go ten milligrams, ten milligrams a week. Who cares? So that would take how long? Twelve weeks. It would take three months to do. So you would start off with two forties and um, uh, let me see, and three tens a day, right? And uh, then you would go two forties and two tens, and two forties and one ten, and then two forties. So you, now you're down to eighty milligrams, and um, uh, and you can do that uh, uh, week after week after week. Nice slow taper. When you get down to about ten milligrams, I probably wouldn't cut you to zero. I'd go to five, and then maybe two point five. So take a little. It'd take fourteen weeks to do it that way. Uh, and if you get down to, let's say you get down to 40 milligrams, you can't go any further. Well, shit, you just tapered from 120 down to 40. That's not a a, a bad thing. That's going to decrease your risk of um, low testosterone, may decrease your risk of neoplastic disease because we're pretty aware that people on long-term opioid analgesics or a.k.a. narcotics in the street vernacular um, – uh, may increase uh, cancer risk. So, uh, but talk to your addictionologist about it. See if you can do a nice, long, slow taper because the goal is to avoid um, withdrawal and adverse effects. Hang on, that's my wife. Let's see if we can get her on the show real quick. Uh oh, here we go. Whoops. Tacey, you're on Weird Medicine. <laughs> Every time. That's Tacey, everybody. All right. And, uh, good hey, luck. Dr. Steve. Good luck uh, with your sobriety, by the way. What I think might be a sex headache. Uh, last couple of times over the last week, my wife and I were having sex and coming close to completion. Uh, I would have an onset of a massive headache on my left side of my head and um, so much so that it would, we would stop and not finish. Ooh. And then um, after four or five days of not finishing, I decided to power through it. And uh, that was a couple of days ago. And now I still have a headache. Um, I don't, I did, I Googled it and they say sex headaches are common, but I've never had them before. Kind of freaking out a little bit. Yeah. I don't blame you. So, uh, my Dr. Steve's rule on new onset of headaches is get them checked out every time. So there is a thing called a, set a, a sex headache or, or post-orgasmic or pre-orgasmic headache. They're caused by sexual activity, particularly orgasm, but it could be pre-orgasmic. And these can be dull or they can be really sharp. Uh, sudden severe headache just before or during an orgasm is indicative of a sex headache. And most of them, he's right. He Googled it, and most of them are nothing to worry about. But this guy powered through the headache, and he still has it two days later. This needs to be checked out. Uh, what they would do is do an MRI. They may send you to a neurologist. If they do make the diagnosis of benign sex headache, uh, they may not go away for some time if they ever do, but it is treatable. It's um, uh, very treatable. Um, uh there are medications that you can take, including uh, beta blockers and uh, 
calcium channel blockers. These are blood pressure medications that change the um, uh, the ability of blood vessels in the brain to either spasm or contract. And um, you know, you, if you're having these med- these things every time you have sex, it's probably worth taking a medication every day to prevent them. Uh, now, some of the beta blockers will cause erectile dysfunction. Well, that solves your problem right there. So the physician or nurse practitioner or PA will have to select these things carefully, and you may have to try two or three different medications before you find something that works. But please, please go get this checked. And um, uh, you know, for people that just have a sex headache, like every tenth time that they have sex, they'll give them a, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication like indomethacin. Uh, or or other anti migraine medications that uh, sometimes will help. So, so anyway, there you go. Sex headaches, everybody. Hey, Doctor Steve, my name is Joe from New Jersey. Um, years ago, I was in a traffic accident. I hurt my back, my shoulder, my neck. I was then on the wonderful pharmaceutical merry-go-round. I was on all the options: oxycontin, oxycodone, tramadol, gabapentin. Uh, I would try Lyrica, and I was one of those poor souls who got the suicidal tendencies as well, so I stopped immediately. Finally struck upon okay. something called Opana ER. Yeah, I, his audio is terrible. So uh, he was in a trucking accident and got chronic pain, was tried on a bunch of different medications, and then he got put on this medication called Opana ER or oxymorphone. This one was taken off the market. And uh, his question is, you know, why did they take it off the market and what am I supposed to do? So uh, they did take the gen- or the branded version called Opana ER off the market and that was done voluntarily by request of the FDA because there were a lot of adverse effects that were coming from it. But it turned out that it may have been a binder in the uh, – um, in the pill itself that was causing the problem. And it was the the main problems that were happening with Opana, which is a wonderful drug, by the way, uh, were to people who were shooting it up. So if people shot it up, uh, which is obviously off-label, not uh, recommended by the manufacturer, uh, in a certain subset of people, it was causing kidney failure and a, a disease called thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, which is uh, – where you uh, get all these um, – you get so many blood clots in your body that you run out of platelets to make anymore. And uh, you have heavy bruising and stuff like that. And they would get that in addition to renal failure. So um, uh, that this medication was voluntarily removed from the market. And I hate that because it was really great for what we call opioid rotation. So if you've got someone that's on huge amounts – of morphine, for example, you know those pills go up to 200 milligrams. You got somebody taking 200 three times a day. It's really you can keep going up, but all of their receptors are already saturated with morphine. You can do what's called opioid rotation, where you would rotate them to another medication, and then the body becomes sensitive again because those new molecules are hitting the receptors in kind of a different way. And uh, one of the great medications for doing that with was oxymorphone or opana because it was three times more potent than morphine. So if you had somebody on, let's say, 300 milligrams of, uh, of morphine a day and you wanted to rotate them, you could put them 
Well, first you would calculate the Opana dose, which would be 100 milligrams a day. And then because you're using a different molecule, you're going to decrease it even further for what they call incomplete cross tolerance. You end up with 50 milligrams a day. And that's a big difference from going from 300 milligrams a day to 50 milligrams a day, particularly just how it looks on the paper. Uh, they're equivalent doses because one's more potent than the other. And uh, but it is it was a really nice drug to use for what we call opioid rotation. Well, what's this guy supposed to do now? It's been taken off the market. Well, guess what? The generic is still on the market. So just ask your provider for the generic and you'll be fine if that particular molecule is working well for you. So um, generics to the rescue on that one. All right. Yes, uh, I'm a 65 year old male. I have what I think they call Peroni's disease, where the penis uh, starts curving. And it's curving up, and I just wonder if there's uh, anything I can do myself to uh, help cure this, or if there's a cure, or what 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 are the treatments for something like. Okay, so this guy has Peroni's disease, which means when his penis gets erect, it bends. So how does this happen? It's usually caused by uh, vigorous intercourse, uh, some maladventure or misadventure uh, during vigorous intercourse with a semi-erect penis. So if you've been drinking or if you're on your way down after having an orgasm or if you have some erectile dysfunction, particularly if the woman's on top and she thrusts down and your penis isn't fully engaged in the slot – that it's supposed to be in, and instead of it thrusting forward, bends in two, you can actually get a uh, tear or a contusion of the sheath around the penis, and uh, then scarring will set in, and anywhere where there's scar tissue, there will be a loss of elasticity. And when you have loss of elasticity, um, when that thing starts to stretch, it'll it will bend in the direction where that loss of elasticity is. So if you've got a scar... On the right side of the shaft, when your penis becomes erect, it will bend to the uh, right side. And uh, 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 it can be very painful and it can be severe. There are some people, you know, their penis will almost bend in a 90-degree angle and you want to get treatment for that. A little bend might be beneficial. If it doesn't bother you, It's it may give the appearance – to your partner of a little bit more girth because instead of being a perfectly straight needle dick, you've got this curved sort of more banana-shaped penis. And uh, so the you know the top part might be pushing against the left wall while the middle is pushing against the right wall and the base is, again, curving toward the left wall. So it will give the illusion of more girth. So it isn't necessarily the worst thing if you have a slight curvature of your penis. It's these lifestyle-threatening major curvatures that we have a problem with. So for a long time, there weren't very good uh, treatments. Some people would try to stretch their penis using um, a uh, device that has Velcro straps that go around the base and the uh, uh, right under the Roman war helmet. And then you have these turnbuckles and you tighten and try to stretch your penis out that way. And maybe there's some mild benefit to that. But uh, uh, they tried uh, injecting these areas with uh, calcium channel blockers and other medications. Well, recently, uh, the genius urologists uh, came out with um, 
uh, a collagenase injection. Now, collagenase, anytime you have AZ or ASE at the end, so you've got lactase, that's an enzyme that cracks lact, lactic, um, uh, lactose. So um, lactase will take lactose and convert it into its constituent parts. And so it's an enzyme. So anything with ASE at the end is an enzyme. And collagenase is an enzyme that will dissolve uh, collagen. And elastase would be a, uh, a an enzyme that dissolves or somehow performs an operation on elastin. So anyway, so they can inject the this medication or this enzyme into the scar, and if they're skilled, uh, they get it right into the scar, and then it starts to dissolve the scar tissue and make it more elastic, and that will. Uh, uh, really ameliorate some of the symptoms of Peroni's disease. So the only people that do this are urologists. So go see a urologist. Don't be embarrassed. They see d- nothing but dicks all day long. And um, just tell them you've got Peroni's disease and uh, they'll get to work on you. Okay? You don't have to live that way if it's causing problems. Hey, Dr. Steve, I am 58 years old, and it seems like that every time I touch fucking something, I bruise like a grape or I'm bleeding. What the fuck is going on with that? Love you. Love the show. Hey, thanks, man. Um, Yeah, so this guy, every time he touches something, he's bruising, and if he gets a little contusion, he's bleeding. This makes you worry about something going on with the uh, blood platelets or clotting mechanism in your bloodstream. So, you know, people with liver problems sometimes won't make clotting factors. Some people are genetically predisposed to not making clotting factors. Uh, and, uh, and those people are called hemophiliacs. I would assume you don't sound like you're 15, So, and I could be wrong about that. I mean, you can't tell, but uh, – you know, you would think that you would know that already. So the other thing that I worry about is that your bone marrow isn't producing enough platelets, and the question is why. So what you got to do is you go to your primary care, and they'll do a simple blood test called a complete blood count. And if that's not revealing, they can do a, th- a test for platelet function called a bleeding time. And basically what they do is they take a um, a, a little um, – um, it's – it's like a little spring contraption that that causes two small, very painless lacerations in your skin. And then they use um, blotting paper to wick off the blood that comes out of that. And then they time how long it takes for it to stop bleeding. And a prolonged bleeding time in the presence of normal platelets would give you an indication of decreased platelet function. Whereas a decreased platelet count would make you wonder, well, where are they going? Some people just have an enlarged spleen and the spleen's just eating up their platelets. That's all it is. That's easy to fix. Sometimes it can be other things. It could be medications that you're taking, all kinds of things. Just go right now and call your primary care, make an appointment, tell them what you told me. They'll get you in that day because they don't want to fart around with this and get a complete blood count and maybe a bleeding time. And then call me back. And let me know what they find. Okay? All right. Hey, my question is, this is the first time I've actually scanned and listened to your radio. My question is, cool, in 2015, I started having a burning sensation in my mouth in the morning. 
Um, this has been obviously three years now, still going on. Went to a DNT, prescribed a bunch of different um, uh, medicines for uh, uh, for the acid going up in your throat. Yeah, reflux. Acid reflux. And then he did a septoplasty, thinking it's something to do with my sinuses. Oh, my goodness, he did surgery. Nothing helped. Every yeah. morning I wake up, it feels like my mouth has been scorched. And I have better days and worse days, but uh, there's never a day I don't have that. Um, and then I can't find any rhyme or reason why it, some days are worse than others. And sometimes I notice if I skip a meal, I can start feeling the onset of it, even in the evening. And I also, like, when it's really bad, it feels like it's up into my sinus cavity. Goodness. Not only just in my tongue, roof of my mouth, it's also in my sinus cavity. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I quit going to the ENT because everything he did was a waste of time and money. And that surgery was a big pain in the ass. Yeah, no kidding. So I understand why they did the surgery. Uh, they probably looked in there and saw a deviated septum and said, oh, well, I, we know what's going on. He's not breathing properly. He's mouth breathing because he has nasal congestion or he has post-nasal drip, and that's what's causing this. And the weird thing is it's only it's mostly happening in the morning, which makes you think snoring or um, uh, just mouth breathing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I texted this guy, and he said, no, you know, they don't think that's what it is because I don't snore. Well, I didn't think I did either, and I had to do a sleep study to prove to me that I was mouth breathing, and uh, I, I had uh, horrible, horrible pain in in my mouth and my throat that would go away as the day went on because I was, you know, cracking my the mucous membranes in my mouth and upper airway. So one thing you can try if you haven't tried it already is this stuff called biotin. There's a dry mouth moisturizing gel, and you use it before you go to bed and as soon as you get up in the morning. That might help. The other thing is, um, you know, could this be some form of uh, thrush or a yeast infection of the upper airway? Uh, you would think they would see it, but it's pretty easy to treat. They can give you a mouthwash that has some stuff called Nystatin in it that you can swish around and see if that helps. And... Um, you know, I wouldn't give up on the ENT just yet, particularly if it goes on, because it may have been something that they couldn't see, but now they can. Make sure you're not smoking. Uh, if you're smoking and you're complaining about pain in your pharynx, you know, I don't know what to say to you. So you got to, if you're smoking, you got to quit. But try that biotin, see if that helps, and uh, feel free to call back when we're able to discuss because I have other questions I can't ask to a voicemail. Anyway, all right. Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, thanks always go to Dr. Scott, uh, who isn't here today, and Lady Diagnosis, who also couldn't make it. This is sort of the last of our vacation shows. Uh, we'll back, be back to regular shows next week. We can't forget Rob Sprance, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, whose steadfast support of this show never has ever gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Don Wicklin's pleasure, including Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. And until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, 
quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Has become comfortably numb.